Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually and then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 183 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an awesome start to your day. So today's podcast episode is on a topic that I know that a lot of us have heard about, curious about, or maybe if even thought about getting training or are entrained on, which is brain spotting. And I've been curious about brain spotting and I've actually thought about getting trained in it because I just, from the bit that I've read on it, I, I don't know, it, it really seems to align with a lot of what I believe about therapy, about the healing process. I don't know, there's just some really cool healing that occurs in a relatively short amount of time through brain spotting. And so the topic for today's episode is how do we overcome mental blocks and how do we use brain spotting to work through mental blocks? My guest is Beth Medina. Beth is a licensed mental health clinician down in Florida and her website is bethmedina.com. And uh, she also does coaching as well. And we're diving into the world of brain spotting. So our conversation is going to start off at the very top, which is what is the relationship between EMDR and brain spotting? I know that that's something that I've been really curious about. And then what exactly is brain spotting? Um, how did Beth get to a point where she realized brain spotting is something that aligns with what she wanted in terms of training? And then we're going to talk about some of the ways that Beth has been able to create a business centered around brain spotting and specifically around the niches that she selected and why she selected those. And we're going to wrap up with why brain spotting is such an effective tool for us as clinicians. And yeah, I think today's conversation is really interesting. We won't talk much more. Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, this is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and well, I call him Dave. Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest. And honestly, Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know. And with sponsors, you guys know I'm, I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share uh, the STC audience with. And Dave, when uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people. I just, I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner, uh, specifically for therapists. And his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told, 
It impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement and investing and all of those things. And Dave understands that. And he comes from just a very hard-centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, It's absolutely free to download, and it's called The 7 Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And that guide has a lot of the things that, that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides. So we'll get right to today's conversation. Here's my conversation with Beth Medina from BethMedina.com. Hey, Beth, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey there, Melvin. Thank you so much for welcoming me and for having me on. So for those of you guys who are listening, we had actually scheduled this interview. Gosh, when was this? Probably a couple of months back. And then our daughter decided to come a little early. I think it was actually that week, I believe, right? They were like, yeah. I think that you're right. You were, I think that you were going to take some time off just to get things in order, but she decided to come early. So yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing how life throws things at you, but I'm excited that one, we were able to reschedule this and two, I feel like the topic of brain spotting, I know that a lot of clinicians are either getting trained in it or considering training or like me, just very curious and I'm excited for today's conversation. Wonderful. Me too. Let's dive in. Okay. So I told you right before we get started, I was like, I'm probably going to ask a lot of really dumb questions. Just bear with me. So, well, let me ask you this. There's, is there some relationship between EMDR and brain spotting? I get that question a lot. Yes, there's a relationship in the aspect of brain spotting was discovered during a modified EMDR session. David Grand is the originator of brain spotting and he used to be a a master EMDR trainer and therapist. Mm. And he modified EMDR to make it less activating for clients. And so when he was working with a figure skater, he was going across your visual field very slowly. And in EMDR, those of you who know what that is, there some sometimes are, or much of the time they, they use eye movements. So he was going very slowly across your visual field. And he noticed that her eyes started wobbling and then fixed in place. And because he is a really in-tune therapist, instead of just like, you know, continuing the session and going about his EMDR protocol, he actually just paused and waited and was curious and just to see what would happen. And it was an amazing thing that happened. For 10 minutes, her eyes were fixed in this one place. And all of this traumatic stuff came up that had never come up within, I think, a year and a half of 90-minute EMDR sessions. And she was able to process these things very deeply. And even things that they had thought that they resolved with the MDR came up again and processed to a deeper level. And the issue that she was working on actually was a performance issue. She was trying to do the triple loop, which is when you jump in the air and spin around three times and come down gracefully, as David likes to say. (laughs) And she could do the second revolution, but when she started going into the third, she'd pop out of it. And so David had her go to that moment right before she popped the jump right before that. And that's when her eyes fixed in place. So he thought that was really interesting that all this happened within a 10-minute time frame. The client left and she called him the next day from the, from the ice skating rink and said, David, I don't know what you did, but I have no problem doing it now. I can do it again and again and again. Huh. So yeah, pretty cool story. So he was like, wow, that's really amazing. And so he, he was just kind of being David and just creative. So next time that he had a client come in and he would notice 
there would be some kind of reflexive movement, like they would they would like wrinkle their nose or uh, they would cough or they would, their eyes would fix in place. He would stop and just kind of see what would happen. And so that's when brain spotting really started to uh, to take shape. He's a therapist up in New York. And at the time was seeing a lot of EMDR therapists as clients. And so when he was doing EMDR, he would stop in the visual field and they would say things like, you know, I feel this way deep in my brain. It's really strange and different. What is this? And uh, that's how brain spotting was discovered back in 2003. That's pretty amazing. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for giving me the, like the short version because I'd always been curious. And yeah, I don't know. I, no, thank you for that. I wanted to ask you, so again, really dumb question. So I imagine then, do you have to like be EMDR certified to do brain spotting training or is that sort of its own independent training? No, not at all. I think that you know, what I described is, is exactly where the most of the similarities end. I mean, you know, brain spotting is a body-based and brain and body-based therapy. You know, so it's similar to EMDR in, in that sense that it's more of a somatic therapy. But you know, when, when we are attuning to the client in a different way and when we are following them in, in their process, that's what makes a brain spotting therapist or brain spotting coach. So no, if you are an EMDR therapist, you're welcome to get trained in brain spotting and we certainly would love that. But you don't have to get trained in EMDR to, to do brain spotting, not at all. That's a, that is actually very good to know. I wanted to ask you just about your own like journey in with brain spotting and how did you realize that brain spotting was something that aligned with who you were both as a person and with the clin- as a clinician? Wow, that's a great question. So early on in my therapy journey, I really I realized that you know, we are such complex creatures. There's, it's not possible to contain the human experience in any one theory or modality. Mm-hmm. And of course, when we go to graduate school, we learn these theories and we try to kind of categorize people, not to be, not to dehumanize them, but to kind of try to understand. And I was more of a phenomenological sort of sort of therapist. Like this person's coming in with, with these issues because they've come from a certain place and things have happened that have shaped them. And we, we have to kind of look at the person as a total individual and realize that this approach, whatever this approach may not be the right approach for them. And it's really important to listen to what the client is saying. And way back in, let's see, in 2001, I began doing some work in the substance abuse field with pregnant and postpartum moms. And unfortunately, at the time, there was not much trauma therapy that we were doing that was effective. And so I said, we have to you know, do something that's actually going to be helpful and not harmful because unfortunately, what we would do is put people in a group and make them talk about these terrible experiences. And you know, th- the therapists that were doing this were just trying their best and they didn't really know much of what they were doing, but they were opening up all of these horrible wounds. And so that's when I went to our COO, who is an amazing person who said, well, what do you want to do? You know, find a training that you want to go to. So I got trained originally at EMDR back in 2001, and I saw some amazing things happen with clients right away. So I got really excited. And so for, gosh, I'll say 15 years, you know, I went on to, to advanced trainings and to get certified as well in EMDR, and it was my go-to therapy. But there was always something missing. And for me, um, EMDR is very protocol-driven, and certainly as you get better at being an EMDR therapist, you can be more creative, but it's still a therapist-driven type of therapy. And so I was really looking for something that was going to really honor the innate ability to heal that all humans have. And that's where brain spotting comes in. Hmm. You know, yeah. I feel like, I, I know this is a struggle that I have, which is 
like you're in grad school, you go through all of these trainings and there's that natural pull to sort of like just take those trainings at face value, right? But what you did is you did this subtle thing, which is a little different, which is you actually listened to your sort of intuitive self, right? Mm-hmm. How did you manage to do that when like up until then, you'd always had like all these trainings and all of those kind of things that, you know, there's always the pull just to follow protocol. Right. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always sort of been the, per- the kind of person who is a truth teller. Hmm. And so when something didn't sit right with me, I would be the one to say, that doesn't really make sense to me. Why are we doing this? Mm. And, you know, that came up a lot through all the different modalities that I've been trained in. Because, you know, when I, when I first realized, it was probably maybe 2004 or five that I realized, you know, I'm missing something with EMDR. It's, it's wonderful. And there are, there are many different approaches. You know, Laurel Parnell is one of my favorite uh, EMDR uh, training type of people. And she does attachment-focused EMDR. And that was wonderful, but it still felt like there was something out there that was better, right? And so I took about a bazillion different trainings. And, and I took different elements from things because, you know, there were nuggets from every possible modality that we have. But I was really looking for something that was more relational because we all know that no matter what therapy you use, it's the relationship that makes the difference with clients. Yeah, so that's what brain spotting is for me. It's it's based on on the what's called the dual attunement frame. So as a therapist or as as the coach, I am watching the person that I'm working with and paying attention to what's happening with them physiologically, but I'm also holding the space for them relationally. And it's really a beautiful uh, just cocoon of sorts. Uh, David Grain calls it a frame. So when a person is dealing with something either very traumatic or dealing with a block that is really annoying to them, that they really are tired of trying to bulldoze through, if they are in the right environment, we're able to access their brain's ability to locate that information, digest it, get rid of it, move on from it. And it happens relatively quickly. What is, I guess, what is the sort of typical time period? I know it can vary depending on the person, but... Depending on, yeah. So are we talking about a therapy issue or are we talking about a coaching issue? Oh, that's a tough one. How about we start with like a coaching issue? Like let's sure. say like a block in your business or something, a mental block. Yeah. Okay. So just like with traumas, performance issues, have any kind of block is really rooted in not just a mental stuck place, but a physiological stuck place. Mm. So, and just like with traumas, there are simple traumas, which could be huge traumas, but maybe not related to other stuff, or there could be many different traumas. So if we have somebody who has a performance issue in their business, and it's just like things are going really well, but there's this one thing that they really are frustrated with, and especially depending on how big the goal is, a lot of times one session is all, all you need. Like, for example, I have a lot of clinicians who call me that want to work through their, their issues with not charging for no-shows. And uh, I mean, they recognize that it certainly can become an ethical issue if I charge this person because, because they forgot about their appointment because they were playing video games, but I don't charge this person because they say that they got stuck at work. Like, that's not, that's not really cool. I can't do that. And so with those clinicians that generally, you know, takes only one session. If a person wants to get off of insurance, well, there are many different things underlying that. And so that that can take definitely multiple sessions. And the same thing with trauma. If somebody comes and they had an experience that was overwhelming, but they are relatively, you know, handling things well in life, and this is just something that's come up that's sort of an outlier, one session is highly effective. 
And the great thing about brain spotting is I kind of think of it like if you were to break your arm, you would go see the, the doctor and he would set your arm, he put in a cast possibly, right? So he's not mending your arm. He's setting the conditions for your arm to mend on its own because your brain and body know how to do that. And that's what a brain spotting session is. It's setting the frame and setting the conditions for healing no matter what issue we're dealing with, whether it's a coaching issue or a therapy issue. So when a person comes in and they have one brain spotting session, the effects of the session continue in a very positive way on a healing trajectory. Could be even for weeks after. That's such a cool. Uh, I mean, I love that that image because I think when you said that, like that made sense for me. Because I think underlying that is the assumption in just the person's own ability, right? It it's yes. not just about the therapist and and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to shift a little bit. So you guys that are listening, well, if you're driving, don't do this, but if you're in front of a computer, (laughs) you can follow along at bethmedina.com. That's Beth's website. That's M-E-D-I-N-A.com. So I wanted to ask you just a couple of things from the website because I I feel like I told you this right before we got started. Your website is so clear in terms of who you serve and just the language around it is just, I mean, it's beautiful. Thank you. And thanks and props to Kelly Higdon for all of her wonderful help. I've worked with her for several years as my individual mastermind coach. That's awesome. Shout out to Kelly. She's wonderful. Yes, she is. I wanted to actually start at the top, which is you have a couple of things on your menu. And among them is a section that says who I help. And as we're recording this, there's sort of four niches, right? So one is mental health professionals, two is attorneys, three is entrepreneurs, for as coaches and consultants. How did you settle on those four? Well, I've been seeing a lot of those four in my office for years and years and years. I do a lot of work with attorneys and I also do a lot of work with CPAs. So a lot of solopreneurs who are service-based professionals. And you know, these are people who are generally pretty high achieving and who out to the outside world look like they have it all together. And, you know, a lot of times they feel good about where they are, but they want to take it to the next level. But sometimes they come in and they say, my goodness, if people only knew how much of a wreck my my books were and I'm a CPA, you know, I'd lose my license, really. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I really, as an attorney, I need to hire somebody. I can't keep doing all of this work myself, but I can't trust people, you know. So working through those types of things, you know, is, is something that sort of inspired the, the copy on, on who I help because I love working with people who are service-based professionals. Yeah. I mean, and so you said it like you said it and I, and I just wanted to sort of point it out, which is it's not that you just found like these are sort of the niches that I work with. You actually focused on what are the underlying themes, almost like the common themes among all of those. Is that, did I hear that correctly? Absolutely. And I'll tell you, it's really, it's really sort of laughable to me sometimes how we as therapists certainly have our own special sort of idiosyncratic blocks, but they are in every industry. Hmm. I'm telling you, you know, I'm, I'm amazed at how many CPAs accept, accept uh, clients, uh, you know, books, that are in complete disarray or, you know, the, the deadline is March 15th and I'm sending my stuff on March 13th and thinking it's okay. Like what? Mm-hmm. That's crazy, you know? And so absolutely. So, so it's, it's when we are so focused on being of service that we forget that there has to be proper boundaries. I see that across the spectrum in every kind of um, service-based business. That's so interesting. I'm glad you said that. Cause I feel like at least for me, 
you're just so in our profession that you don't think other professions necessarily have these sort of unique struggles, like whether it's setting fees or like you said, with boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's neat to hear you say that. I had a client who is an attorney and she was saying, yeah, you know, I probably should raise my rates. I said, well, what is your fee? And she said, two twenty-five. And I said, what? I mean, this is an extraordinarily talented and, and seasoned attorney who has been practicing for you know, several decades and does very specialized work. And I was like, you know, I think that we were meeting like, I don't know, maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday at like three. And I said, you should have the kind of weeks where if it's a Tuesday or a Thursday or whatever at three, that you're just done for the day. Hmm. You know, like, how would that feel? And she was like, that would be amazing. But, you know, how would I do that? And so I had her look at, well, what would it take for you to you know, to make that happen, still make the same amount of money, and she crunched some numbers, and her she only had to raise her fee. I want to say by like maybe seventy five dollars to make that happen for her, which to me was really astounding and still, I mean, a crazy, crazy, amazing deal. And she was able to do that. She just looking at the numbers and going, "Wow, yeah, you're right." And why not? And I do need this time, and I should be able to take a vacation. You know, the kind of the joke with attorneys is that. They don't either do coaching or go to therapy because they're always working. No, I mean, and that's not how life should be, right? Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's interesting just how there are like multiple layers to, yeah. to all of these little presenting concerns. I actually wanted to shift because I, to the private practice aspect and yes. as you do, you work with mental health professionals and I mean, you you know this, I know this personal experience, right? We have a range of struggles and I actually wanted to start by just reading a section of of your copy because I just think one, it's like so well written, but I think a lot of folks will resonate with this. And I was wondering if as as I wrap up with it, if you could just sort of reflect on that. One, just reflect on what you wrote and also yeah, we'll start there and then we'll sort of shift to the brain spotting aspect. How does that sound? Sure, great. Okay. So this section is says private practice doesn't have to be a struggle. Early on in private practice, you were excited by the possibilities ahead, your rules, your schedule, your way, your way of working. Lately, though, it's getting harder and harder to feel energized by your work, knowing that things could be better in your practice, but they aren't. It doesn't make sense. You love the work with your clients, but you feel drained much of the time. If only you had more time to enjoy your life outside of work. And then there's longer paragraph there. And I mean, you further like articulate this really well, but I I wanted to just stop there. What made you write that? I would say hundreds of therapists that I've met throughout my career who have been in that place where they love their work, but it's really sort of eating them alive where, you know, because we love our work so much and, and we love seeing the shifts that happen with clients, it still takes a toll on us. And it does drain us. And, you know, especially in private practice, there are so many clinicians who believe, you know, I have to work certain hours. I have to see clients at night. I have to see clients on the weekends. I have to, have to, have to, you know, and it's it's out of this desire to be of service, but it's not sustainable, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and just personally, I throughout, I've been in private practice for 12 years now. and I've been a therapist for 22 years just early on in my private practice journey, I was so excited about seeing clients and doing the amazing trauma work that I was able to do. But it was difficult to actually have a life outside. And it started to actually impact my health. 
And I've seen so many clinicians go through similar things. I've also seen a lot of clinicians start to get burnout and the work that they're doing is, is maybe good, but it's not exceptional, the kind of work that they're capable of doing. So I love working with clinicians to give them the ability to just be exceptional again, you know? Yeah. You just said that so well, because I, I think as I reflect even on my own journey, I think like part of the struggle is one, the nature of the work we do, right? It's not just we're filling out forms, right? Yep. And so there's that aspect while simultaneously trying to be a business owner and all of the practical and emotional challenges that come with that, you know, it's not easy treading. No, it's not. It's not. You know, I think that sometimes it's easy to lose sight of our personal whys, but also the whys behind you know, the policies that we have in place. Mm -hmm. Because when a client calls you and they say, you know, my dog just died and I don't know what to do, you know, it's hard to say to them, well, I'm sorry that your session, you know, you're going to miss your session and, and here's the fee. But once we understand that we can be present and attuned to our client and, and be empathic and also uphold certain policies, then we're in a good place, you know? It's also okay to say in some circumstances, I'm going to break the rules, but you have to have a clear idea of why you're doing it. It's also difficult to say to a person who's calling, who says, you you are the person I need to see. You have the specialty I need, but I can't afford your fee. You know, If mm -hmm. you don't know ahead of time what your bottom line is and, and how much you need to be making, and if you can afford to take on a sliding scale client, it's going to be very difficult for you to have and maintain the life that, that you need to have outside of work. Why do you think brain spotting is so effective for clinicians? Well, you know, I think that naturally as clinicians, we're curious about, about uh, healing and about the world. And we do love to better ourselves, even though sometimes we're not the greatest at sticking to plans <laughs> to do so. You know, also I, this is... I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, no idea. Right. Yeah, me either. I just made that up. Just pulled it out <laughs> of thin air. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. You know, this is a wonderful time to be a therapist just because of all of the amazing advances in neuroscience. And I know a lot of us love to geek out on brain-based sort of interventions. And so brain spotting fits right in there with that. I think that as clinicians, we, we, we do have an understanding that each person that's sitting in front of us has an, an inherent ability to heal. And brain spotting is a modality that is able to, to bring that to life for clinicians. So I think that's why they really love it and why it works so well for them. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like geekily excited by this. <laughs> <laughs> Beth, I am so grateful for you. I mean, what a like, just what a wonderful service that you're providing. I think I'm even more grateful that you had the courage to listen to your like intuitive voice and say, you know, what I'm doing right now, it's not, it's not working. There has to be something more. Yeah. And all of us have that within us. And why not listen to it? Because, I mean, when has your intuitive voice, the actual intuitive voice ever steered you wrong? Yeah, no, absolutely. If I, I don't know, I am still like really early on in this, but I feel like the more I listen to that inner voice, the more, even though sometimes the road is harder, but at the end of it, usually the, I, there's, I feel like a greater sense of contentment with the, with the decision that I made. Yeah. I think sometimes we confuse the inner voice with the inner critic too. <laughs> And, uh, there's a, there's a big difference there. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> Beth, where can we learn more about you and the awesome services that you're providing? You're welcome to visit me at bethmedina.com. You can find me there. And I'll put that on the show notes page, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com 
forward slash session dash 183. Beth, thank you again for doing this and I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much, Melvin. Have a wonderful day. You too. Hey there, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Beth and especially if you're thinking about incorporating brain spotting into your practice, I hope that today's episode has given you a little extra motivation. I know for me, just having this conversation with Beth, it's always interesting with these podcast conversations because I'm asking these questions and trying to dive deep in while being fully aware of the things that are that are coming up for me in the moment as we're having this conversation. And what I just kept thinking during this conversation actually was some of my own fears that I have as a business owner. And, you know, the one, if I'm always believe in transparency on this podcast. So one of the things that was actually coming up for me as I was recording this episode was uh, just this fear that, you know, I'm not doing enough, you know, I'm not doing enough as a business owner and that whatever I'm doing, that I'm not going to succeed in it. This, I think, is a, is a common fear that I know that a lot of us experience, but I know that it's one that I've had a lot of recurring sort of struggles with and one that I have to continue to work through. And I don't know, for this episode, I think particularly has been just helpful thinking about even the direction of some of the things that I want to do professionally as well. Beth mentioned a number of resources and you can find that over at sellingthecouch.com, sellingthecouch.com forward slash session dash one eight three. And I'll put a link to, to Beth's website and some of the other resources that would be helpful for you. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met. And you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get $200 off any of your, any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your week and thank you again for taking the time to tune in. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. 
It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching. So it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.